Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. We will be in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, and we are continuing our series dealing with what we believe. So there are all kinds of beliefs out there. There are all kinds of schisms and wisms and different splits and all kinds of groups. But what does the Bible teach and what do we believe? And of course, we started with what we believe about the Bible and Revelation, what we believe about God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, what we believe about humanity and who we are and how we think and how we feel. And then we talked about the fall and how we are dragged down by sin and we are dead in our trespass and sin and that following our own hearts is not a good idea because our hearts are desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Then we talked about Jesus and what He did on the cross to save us from our hearts that need salvation and our souls. And then talked about how we grow. And then last week, we discussed what is baptism and what's baptism for. And then today, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Supper. It's a very interesting topic when you talk about it, but it is crucial to the body of Christ and all that God has given to us and for us and what we are to be about. So in this passage of Scripture, we are to look closely at how the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper. So before we get into that, several years ago, golly, this would have been 19 years ago, we moved into a community and we met a family, a man and a wife, and they were much older, could have easily been my dad, maybe my grandfather. And because we didn't live near our family, he invited us over for dinner. And it was not like a typical dinner. I mean, you know how we eat. We eat on the go. We eat on the run. Having a meal together is a duty. It's something you have to work for. You have to decide. Most of the time, we just drive through, grab our meal, come home and eat with whoever's close. And that's what we call a meal. But that's not really what a meal is for. And so we sat around this table and everything was laid out nice. And it was a really well-prepared meal. And we just sit there and we talked. Did you know you can talk when you have a meal with family? Did you know that? I mean, I know it's strange to our society, but you really can pull up to somebody's house, go in and sit and have a conversation. And I remember he told me, he said, hey, would you like to cut the bread? And so I'm like, sure, I'll do it. And so he had a loaf of bread there and I began to cut it. He goes, no, 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 don't cut it, pull it apart. And I'm like, we don't do that at my house, but let's go for it. So grab the bed and I began to pull it. He said, no, 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 slow down. And I'm like, what? And he goes, really feel it. And began to take the bread and just pull it apart as everybody's watching. And he said, he, he was a very unique guy with a unique accent and a unique way of talking. He said, isn't that therapeutic? And I'm like, I don't know. Let me try it again. And I just, that's pretty neat. So I began to rip it. Next thing you know, I'm just pulling it apart and distributing it out. And now we all have a piece of bread that came from the ground ultimately and it's distributed by somebody who just kind of pulled it apart. And I did wash my hands. I want you to know that. You germophobics, I did, and it's okay. And I'm alive. We're all alive. Nobody died that day. The reality is meals are meant to be more than just feeding your body. They're to mean something. And it has a lot to do with the time that went in to prepare it and the love that was there, but ultimately, who is with you? That's really good. I mean, who is with you at a meal is very, very powerful. It can be, certain people can be at the meal that really make you nervous, or you're really angry at them, and you ever have, you know, you know Thanksgiving time, you have a distant person that comes back into your life, and you haven't spoke to them on purpose for a long time, and the whole Thanksgiving meal just doesn't taste the same. 
because of the certain people you're with. And I know that's never happened to you, but it has happened to me. But when you think about the most important meals that you've ever had, I bet you could remember, you know, maybe your first date with somebody, uh, maybe, maybe somebody that you knew you wouldn't see for a long time or you were gonna be shipped out or you're gonna ship off and you had this meal together and it just had meaning. Let me propose something to you. That the most important meal that you could ever have has to do with the meaning of the meal and how it was prepared. And it has to do with who's gonna show up. And that meal is called the Lord's Supper. It's an invitation that has been given to you, written out in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, let's eat, let's come out to supper. So how does this meal come about? And what do we believe about this meal? Let's open up the Bible and look at it. In Matthew chapter 26, we realize that this is the last week of Jesus' life on earth. This is Thursday night. He's with the disciples. He's giving them final instructions. Very emotional. I mean, this is the scene. You know, he just got through taking a whip and, and snapping it in the temple and chasing out all the money changers. And he was very angry at those that had turned God's house into a house of money instead of a house of prayer. And he's continuing with these incredible lessons. And they're following. They're, they're catching on. Just six months earlier, Jesus told the disciples that he's going to go to Jerusalem and die. And here he comes riding in on a white horse on this last week, doing all these incredible things. And they're, they're just, their, their attention is peaked. And they're just waiting for what is going to happen next. One high definition, one emotional event, one teaching. Jaws are dropping all over the place. While the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and the scribes are plotting to kill him, they're following along. And next thing you know, he says, I want you to do this. I want you to go find a place. He's telling his disciples, find a place that we can have the Passover meal. And then... You may remember, we don't have time to go into it, but, but they go and they find a guy with a donkey and they go inside. They said, this is the place where the master wants to eat. And they began to prepare the Passover meal. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at this Lord's Supper, this very first Lord's Supper from the eyes and the heart of Jesus and what he actually experienced. So he goes up and uh, look at verse 17. Matthew 26, 17. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal? And he tells them how to get there. And uh, so they're having the Passover meal and all that goes on in a Passover meal. So I, do you know what a Passover is? Sometimes they call it a Seder, right? Seder just means an order. And so the Passover meal was a commemoration, a reminder, a memorial of that incredible Passover of the death angel going through Egypt. Remember that? So Israel is in captivity. This is probably 1450 BC. You know, so it's a long time ago. 1400 years before Jesus is, is, is doing this Last Supper. And what happened was Israel was in captivity for 400 years. God is wanting to deliver his people because God is a deliverer. And he goes and he tells Moses to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened, right? And so it began a chain of plagues. So this chain of plagues came, and it was flies, it was locusts, blood, all kinds of bad things were happening. And each time Pharaoh's heart got harder and harder, and it was kind of like this incredible showdown between Pharaoh and God, or Pharaoh and Moses, and all these plagues kept happening. And each time Pharaoh would harden his heart more till finally Moses says, dude... 
you don't let my people go, the death angel is going to come and going to kill all the firstborn, and you're not going to like that. He goes, and he hardened his heart more, and, and then the death angel came. Death angel was going to kill the firstborn of everything. The firstborn of sheep, the firstborn of cattle, the firstborn of flies, and the firstborn of children, right? And so God said, but for those that believe and follow me, I will give you a way out. I want you to take a lamb, I want you to slaughter it, and I want you to have this meal called the Passover meal. And it has some bitter herbs because it's going to remind you of the bitterness of captivity. And I want you to have new wine. It's going to remind you of what's coming forward. I want you to have the shank of the lamb. And it, but it's a sacrificial meal, right? And you take the blood of the lamb, and I want you to put it on your doorpost, and I want you to put it on the lintel. And when the death angel comes floating through, he will see that. And those that are inside the house that are in are covered with the blood of the lamb around the doorpost will be saved. And so that was a story. It also, as you know, on this side of the resurrection, we know that it was a shadow or a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That those, listen, listen, listen to me. If you're in Christ, meaning you've accepted Jesus, Lord and Savior, the ultimate death will not come knocking on your door, right? Jesus says, do not fear the one that can kill the body, but fear the one that can kill the body and the soul in hell. That's who you fear. But those that are covered with the blood of Jesus, they will never go through the second death. And so that's the picture of the Passover in all of its meaning. So in this Passover, there's a particular order. There is, so the one that's uh, uh, over the Passover meal, he will start with a blessing, and it's said over it over the four cups of wine, and then the host will wash his hands in the middle of the three, the metza, uh, which is a, a cracker, an unleavened bread, uh, will, will be broken in two. One will be hidden under like a napkin. And then the Passover story, the one I just told you, is told in front of everybody, right in front of this meal. Then the second cup of wine is taken, and then everybody washes their hands. It's very symbolic, and we don't have time to go into all the symbolism at this time. Then the bitter herbs are eaten, and they're actually, this, the cracker is then dipped in a sauce and then eaten. Then there's the main meal of the roasted lamb, and then another blessing is said. Check this out. They said the blessing after they ate, right? Do you ever forget to pray before you eat? It's okay. You can do it at the end. That's what Jesus did. And that's when he would pray, and Lord, bless all that is what? Within me. Bless your holy name. And I thought that was funnier than you did. Come on. Bless. <laughs> Golly, man. Then the third cup, and then a child goes and he opens the door and he looks for Isaiah because Isaiah is supposed to come before the Messiah and they're waiting. And you know that took place in John the Baptist. John the Baptist was akin of the motif of Elijah. And so it's, it's just a beautiful picture. And then they would sing the Hallel Psalms, which is Psalm 113 to 118, and they'd, be, they'd pick one and they would just sing it and then they would close and it would all be over. Then they'd drink the fourth cup of wine. And so Jesus is doing that. That's what it says. Prepare the Passover feast. Jesus comes to this meal, and he knows that he's the Passover lamb. He's the final lamb. Can you imagine what's going on in his mind? Jesus, God, who became man, laid aside the prerogative of all of his deity, and he lived on earth just as a man. And he knew this day was coming. We don't know when Jesus, you know, first it dawned on him that he was going to be the sacrificial lamb, but we know he knew it when he was baptized. Because remember, when he was baptized three years before this, three and a half years, he was baptized in the Jordan, and he comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit comes down upon him like a dove would land on a tree. The Holy Spirit came on Jesus, and you hear this voice, and it's the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And those three affirmations, he's a son, he's beloved, and he's well pleased, right upon Jesus. And then what happens after that? Do you remember? 
the Spirit takes him and throws him into the wilderness, casts him. In other words, Jesus, the Spirit, it was such a strong movement of the Spirit that sends him into the wilderness. It was like the Spirit threw him there. And what happened in the wilderness? Remember that? For 40 days, he fasted and prayed, and he was being tempted by the enemy. And the temptation of the enemy was to forego the cross, bow down to Satan, and he would have all the exaltation he wanted. But he chose not to. He said, get behind me, Satan. The Word of God says this. So we know for sure that at his baptism, a symbol of death, burial, and resurrection gets up, faces the enemy, where the enemy says, look, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll make you like a king. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm not following your ways. I'm going to be king anyway, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess at the glory of the Father. He knew about this day of him being the final sacrifice. But watch this. So they're having this, this meal, and as they were eating, this is verse 26, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, and he said this, take and eat, this is my body. So he's in the Passover feast, and he breaks script. He leaves the script. I mean, how many times do you think the disciples had had the, the, the Passover meal? Lots of times. And then all of a sudden, he, he brings in a whole other element, and they're probably like going, hey, man, Jesus, uh, you're not supposed to do this right here. The Seder, the plan calls for a different order. And Jesus says, no, look, he takes the bread, and he breaks it. And he says this. This is my body that is broken for you. And as often as you eat of this, you do this in remembrance of me. Can you imagine what Jesus is thinking at that time? I mean, can you imagine when he held that loaf, he knows that in just a few hours he's going to be arrested. Uh, also, check this out. At, at this time, maybe right before this time, Judas is there in the room. Jesus says, hey, there's somebody at this table that's going to betray me. Can you imagine that? You're about to die for the sins of the world, and you're going to die at the kiss of a friend because of the betrayal? And, and as, they would, as they would take their cracker or, you know, the unleavened bread, and there was, there's a moment in this where you would dip it in this, uh, this mixture of wine and nuts and grapes, and you, would, and you would eat it. And they would take this bowl and they would pass it and it would land between two disciples and two disciples would dip at the same time. This is what tradition says. And then it would be passed to the next two disciples and they would dip in it and then the next. And in the, time, and in the midst of this, he's saying, look, one of you is going to deny me. And they knew Judas. They knew all the other disciples. But instead of accusing Judas, they began to examine their own heart. Lord, is it me? Each one of them said, Lord, am I going to do it? They didn't even, because Judas fit in like everybody else and nobody knew it. And he says this, no, it's the one that I dipped the morsel with. And probably at that same time, I'm, in my mind, I'm just imagining that little bowl came right between them and right between Judas and Jesus was that bowl and they both dipped at the same time. Judas says, no, 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 not me. And Jesus says, you said it, buddy. Now go do what you gotta do. And he leaves. And then here they are. He takes this bread, he breaks script, he takes this bread and he rips it and he said, this is my body that is being broken for you. I really wonder the depths of the understanding. I mean, I, I can't even approach it. But the ideas and the things that were going on when he says, look, my body is being given to you. I wonder if he's imagining at that time bearing the sins of the world, which I think the answer is yes. 
bearing every one of your sins. Do you know how many sins you have? <laughs> yeah, I have the same feeling, sister. Um, do you know how many sins I have? <clears throat> Probably one more than you do, to be honest with you. Probably one more than you do. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. How, let me ask this. Have you ever done something wrong, you knew it was wrong, or later you knew it was wrong? Maybe you got caught, or maybe you revealed it, or maybe everybody knew, and you felt the shame and the blame and the guilt or the regret of something you've done wrong? I mean, you know what that feels like? In fact, some of you may be experiencing that right now. In fact, you might have come to church because, oh no, I did something bad, I need to go work it off. Come to church and try to get rid of that angst, get rid of that ulcer. So think about this for a moment. Think about all of that, of every single person in this room, of every single person in Texas, every single person in the United States, every single person on the globe right now, of every single year since day one was right upon Jesus. And when he ripped that bread, can you imagine him thinking, oh, I'm going to be taking this into the world. Golly. And then he does this. And then he takes a cup. And he pours this cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Just like my blood being spilt for you. Can you imagine what was going through his mind as he realizes that all of his blood is going to leave his body underneath? Listen, what I'm about to tell you, probably 75% of Christians have never heard. I'm just going to tell you that when Jesus died, it wasn't the Jews that put him on the cross. It wasn't the Romans that put him on the cross. It was the Lord God Almighty using the hands of sinful men, Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 22. And it was the very, here's what it was, it was the very wrath of God that came upon Jesus. You know why? Because he took all of Mac Roller's sins. And you know what happens to sin? It must be punished. It must be extinguished. And Jesus took my sins, he took all of your sins, and while he was on the cross, the very wrath of God was extinguished. He was the propitiation or the one that resolves the sin. And he took it upon himself. So when he's pouring that cup and he's pouring the juice saying, this is my blood that's being poured out for you, can you imagine what he's thinking at the time? What a meal. Gosh, how intense can that be? Now let's just talk about the church from the church's point of view. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. <clears throat> so the scene, here's what happens. Let's go from the scene of the Last Supper. They end up singing a song at the end, and then they leave. They leave the upper room, and they go down this path, the Kindred Valley, and they go up the Mount of Olives, and along this way you have... John records it. You've got John chapter 13 in that upper room, the washing of the feet, uh, the Lord's Supper, and then you have Judas leaving, and then they go, and you have this, the incredible John 14, where he's walking over to where he's going to be arrested in John 14. He's telling his disciples, he says this, man, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were so, I would have told you. And he's consoling them before they watch him get dragged away, and then they go by a vineyard. And he starts talking about the fruit. And he's commanding them to bear much fruit. And then as he's going up the Mount of Olives, you can envision he starts into that priestly prayer of John chapter 17. And then in 18, he's arrested. 
And so all of that took place. Then he's crucified. And then he rises from the dead and everything changes. And fast forward about 60 years. And then here you have Paul who comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And, he's, and the Lord Jesus is giving him revelation. And it's, it's, it shows up in the books of like Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians. And then and possibly Hebrews, we don't know. But 13 different books that Jesus revealed to him this incredible revelation. Now, Paul never walked with Jesus, right? He was not one of the twelve. He was what he says, abnormally born as a disciple or an apostle. But here's what happened. The Lord Jesus gave him revelations, just did. And one of those times, which is prominent because the way he bookends it, is right here. Now think about this. Jesus is coming back, and he's wanting to tell Paul to tell us, which you have it right here. So Jesus wants you to know very specifically about the Lord's Supper. So to me, this is just some pretty high cotton right here. This is incredible. Watch what he says. Verse 17, now in the following instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for better, but for worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe them. There must indeed be some fractions among you so that the approved among you will be recognized. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. Here's what he's saying. Since the time of his death, burial, and resurrection, the church messed up the meal. Messed it up. I mean, something that this scene was so intense and so powerful that the body of Christ took it for granted. I mean, have you ever taken the Lord's Supper for granted? I mean, have you ever just thought, you know what, I don't need to take the Lord's Supper. I don't need to drive up to church and do that. I mean, I've got kids to bathe. I've got meals to prepare. I've got fingernails to clean. I've got all kinds of things that are just way too important. Have you ever taken it for granted? Worse than that, have you ever showed up with false motives? That's what he says. He says, you come to church, but you come for the wrong reasons. Wow. I thought anytime you came to church, it's always got to be a good reason. No, 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 no. You know what? There are some people that come to church just to see other people. They just want to hang out with other people. They might be lonely. Now, there's nothing wrong with seeing other people. I'm a big fan of people. I think you guys are pretty cool people. I think it's great. I think, we, I think everybody ought to come to see you. I think that's just fantastic. You're a pretty cool person. But that's not why you come. I mean, because if you come to church just to see people, what happens when all of a sudden some of the people you came to see, they go off and they go to uh, eat pizza together and you didn't get invited? They always leave me out. This is just like junior high. Hate this. That's what you begin to say. Hate this stuff. These people are so mean to me. Do you, do you notice that some people leave churches because some people in the church are mean? Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Yeah. And so if you come to church for other people, then you're coming for the wrong reasons. And, and, and what will happen, if you're coming for the wrong reasons, you will always get upset for the wrong reasons. Or maybe... He says this, there are some that they don't come for the Lord's Supper, but they come because of them, that they want to be seen. It's not that you want to see other people, but you want to be seen. In other words, you become greedy. That's what the text is really referring to. You want to get food first. You want to neglect other people, and it's all about you. I mean, you're the most important part of church is you, and if if that's your motivation, it's wrong. You're coming to church for all the wrong reasons, and what will happen, and here's what the main point of this passage is all about, is unity. 
Unity is incredible. Getting along, getting engaged so that you can get with the vision of what Jesus is all about. And that's a powerful thing. So if you have other reasons for being at church, I mean, man, we're glad you're here and we love you and we want you to be a part, but we want you to know why you're here. It's because Jesus died on the cross for you. It's because he bled for you, his body was given for you, and he rose again for you. And that is the greatest thought you could have for motivating you to come to church is you get to worship Jesus. And, and by the way, he invites you to a meal to eat with him, which is pretty important. But it, let's go on with this text. And so talking about the church, so we looked at Jesus' perspective. Let's look at the church's perspective is that it, it really is important And then he goes on, look at verse 28. Paul says, I received from the Lord, as if the Lord Jesus came to him to say, this is some important things going on right here. Pay attention. Ding, 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 ding. Listen. For I received from the Lord what I pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, we just read about that, the Lord Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. There it is again, to remember. And here's what happens. When we do it with the right motives, we do it with the right thoughts, the right memorial, here's what will happen. For we will, uh, you will eat this bread and drink this cup, and you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. And so let's break this down. So Jesus says to Paul, listen, Tell Glenn Meadows, tell San Angelo, tell Glenn Meadows that this bread is my body. I mean, go back to the scene when Jesus rips it and says, this is my body. What did he mean by that? Well, okay, so a few years ago, we're at our house and uh, had a big old storm. We had the sirens going off. It was crazy. Everybody was wanting to get in the scaredy hole place and just hide in the bathroom. But our front tree, I'd never seen it like this. But so here's our tree. And it was just doing this. And man, I was freaking out. I wanted to get in the scaredy hole tree, okay? The scaredy hole place where we go hide whenever storms come. And so here's, here's, here's the tree, and it was just going back and forth like this. Okay, let me ask you a question. How many of you believe my watch is a tree? Anyone? No, I just used it as an illustration, okay? Same thing happened when Jesus took the bread. It's my body, right? What was he saying? I'm going to die for you. So we do not believe at all that the elements, the bread, the cracker, is actually the blood of Jesus. This is how language works. You use things like that, but when you say, hey, so I was the big storm and say, say this is my house, or how about I was flying at 30,000 feet in a jet, and all of a sudden we hit a pocket and we went down, so here's the plane, and then all of a sudden it went like this. How many of you believe this is a plane? I pity you if you do, right? It's just not. It's a watch. It, goes, it tells time. That's all it is. Same thing with the bread. This is my body. That's your body. This is my blood. So when he says this, he said, listen, when you come and you have this meal with me, it's an incredible symbol. It's an incredible symbol. And when you ingest it, when you eat it, Here's what I'm saying. Here's what you are saying when we have the Lord's Supper. It's saying this message of the cross, I believe it. I internalize it. 
it fuels my body. It fuels my motivation. I am a Jesus kind of person with a Jesus kind of message waiting for Jesus to come back and the world is going to know about it. Why? Not because I took it. I took it because I believe it. Do you see the point? It doesn't do anything to your soul if you don't mean it. And that's everything. And here's the point. This is the beautiful point. The Lord invites you. Come. Partake. Anyone. Jesus said it this way, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Whosoever may shall come, is what he says. So we serve a Savior that is reaching out. In fact, when you hear the stories that Jesus tells about his love for you, he talks about a lost coin. He talks about a lost sheep. He talks about a lost son, and in all three of those stories, he is chasing after them. He says this, I have a hundred sheep, one is missing. I go after the one, he's after the one percent. He's after the one that is looking for Jesus, and he finds them, and he says, come to me. So when we have the Lord's Supper, listen, here's, here's the way this looks. We will have just a table. And we will have some type of unleavened bread. We used to buy these little chiclet-looking things that tasted really, really gross because we got it from someplace. But now we use oyster crackers because you know why? They just taste better. I'm just saying. But they don't have any leaven in it, just to stay biblical. And they're little oyster crackers. We also will, will have some gluten-free crackers as well, just for, for everybody. And then, and then we have just juice. We don't use real wine for many, many reasons, one of which... Uh, some among us, just, just, a, just a reality, have struggled in that area and are proud that they've been sober for a certain amount of time. And if they were to knock down, a, a, it just wouldn't go well. It's just, it's irresponsible. So we don't, we just use juice. Here's the reality. Is we put it on a table. Check this out. I will stand behind the table. You know why? I don't stand in front of the table. Because it's a picture that there is nobody between you and God. Nobody. There is no such thing as an intermediate or a mediator. So I stand behind the table. And, and this is between you and the Lord. And tonight we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. We looked at this from Jesus' eyes. We've looked at it from the church's eyes. And tonight we're going to look at it from our own eyes. Personal approach to the Lord's Supper. Now, the Lord's Supper doesn't save you. It doesn't give you more grace. It's just celebrating the fact that you have received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And if you have done that, let's have a meal with Jesus tonight. Okay? It's, I think Jesus wants to have a meal with you tonight. So that in that moment, in the breaking, in the juice, that you can commemorate, you can remember, you can memorialize what happened, and it, it begins to give you greater motivation, and it just changes things. But also, it may be the case that you're here today, and if you were to die right now, or maybe on your way home, or before the sun goes down, you were to die, you do not know where you would spend eternity. Do you realize that Jesus came to answer that for you? He came to make sure that you know for sure where you'll spend eternity. And it's just this simple. You just acknowledge that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Savior that died on the cross for you and for me. And you acknowledge that you have fallen short. You're, you've sinned. 
and that there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. You know what? There's a, let me put to rest a false thought. There are some people believe that they need to clean up their life in order to come to Christ. You can't come to Christ like that. You can't. You can't clean yourself enough. You can't stop doing enough things that you shouldn't do in order for Christ to love you. You just can't. God loves you and died for you while we're sinners, right? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. While we're sinners, He died for us. There is no other way to change than to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then He comes inside of you, and then the change begins. The change doesn't take place first. Salvation takes place first, then the change begins. You just have to do what I did several years ago. You just have to say, Lord, I can't do this. Come into my life and make me new. You are my Lord, you are my master, and I will follow you. Save me. That's the meaning of the Lord's Supper. And if you've done that, if you've prayed a prayer like that, if you've approached God like that, then the table is for you. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glamida's Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.